Hi, this is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Brad Long. He uses the pronouns he, him, his. Brad is a zero debt coach and a Dave Ramsey master certified financial coach. 10 plus years ago, Brad looked at where he was in life, his $43,000 worth of consumer debt, and he said, no more. With a lot of hard work, perseverance, and guidance from Dave Ramsey's program, Brad was able to get out of debt in two and a half years. Today, he and his wife put 70% of their combined income into savings, and he teaches people to live a financially independent lifestyle. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. So I shared with you before that, uh, and so for everybody else who's listening, when I started college, I started at Michigan State University and I started as a um, communication minor. And I had this really interesting professor who one day started pontificating about in the realm of communication, there are four things potential married couples need to talk about before they say, I do. And that is sex, religion, family, and money. And I think those are like the four things we don't like to talk about. Right. Absolutely. And and we don't like to talk about them because they're so personal. You know, I, I, you know, one of the things about doing personal finance is that it's, it is deeply, deeply personal. And so we'll have people that sort of subscribe to our platform or we'll join our Facebook our private Facebook group and they'll just kind of lurk. And so it does take a, a good bit to kind of get them to come out um, of the shadows and share and ask questions um, because it's, it's just a subject that's so caught up with emotion and um, you know, relationships and all those things that are some of the hardest things in life. So, uh, yeah, we definitely see, we definitely see a good bit of that in our student population, uh, in terms of just kind of, and even when one, one spouse is on board, the other one might be a bit of a looky-loo for, for a prolonged period of time. So we're, you know, kind of dragging them kicking and screaming through the process maybe. Right. Okay. So I want to get into in a minute why you are so interested in this, but first I kind of wanted to paint a picture. So here's an article. Uh, it's actually from November 2018 from Market Watch, and the headline I think says it all. And they go into more detail, and we'll link these in the show notes. But the true state of Americans' financial lives: only three in ten are financially healthy. And you have a statistic that 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And, and the scary thing about that is, is it doesn't matter what the size of the paycheck is. <clears throat> and I think because of this whole global pandemic, you know, these numbers are probably ballooned, uh, you know, have ballooned quite a bit. And we've certainly seen that, you know, in our, our student population. But it is shocking when you kind of think about and I force myself to do this all the time because I'm bumping up against these numbers and I'm bumping up against human beings who are, you know, the reflection you know of these numbers and and so when you think about it eight out of ten people that we you know if that statistic is true which i believe it is eight out of ten people that we come into contact with on a daily basis live paycheck to paycheck and it may not be a low income or you know they're in a dire circumstances it could be just if they miss a paycheck or two then it starts that 
you know, they're dangling on that precipice of a, a foreclosure within three to six months or, you know, losing a lot of, of the things that they own. And so, yeah, no, none of those, none, no, virtually nothing that I read anymore in the, the uh, financial media, like, you know, Market Watch puts out a lot of um, articles like that you know, just kind of breaking down the numbers. And it's not, it's not really surprising because we've sat kneecap to kneecap with a lot of those people. Um, one couple in particular uh, that always comes to mind, I may have mentioned this the last time we talked, they, their take-home pay was $10,000, well, $10,000 plus per month. And they spent every penny of it every month. And so they didn't even have $1,000 as an emergency fund, but they drove up to our appointment in a very nice Mercedes. And there's nothing wrong with having a nice car and having a nice house. It's just, we as a culture have overextended ourselves so dramatically. And, um, you know, and that's what makes these kind of articles for, especially for people that may have some modicum of financial health, um, you know, might be shocking to them, but yeah, most of our, most of the people that we interact with are not in good financial shape. So I sold bookstore to door and I was not great at the door-to-door sales, but what was the most fun about this was being able to sit down with people and like see a snapshot of American lives, depending on where I lived. And I grew up in a small town in Michigan. And so actually the selling books door-to-door was my introduction to suburbs and, you know, houses that looked alike and that sort of thing. And I was shadowing uh, somebody one day to you know help boost my skills and things and we came into two neighborhoods and they were right next to each other and this was um in in kind of the the midwest southern states i'm not going to name where and uh the one neighborhood was full of what we call now mcmansions and so mm-hmm. they and it was like they had built this sub subdivision like they had built individual hills that all the houses could live on. And so they're big, they're on their own little, you know, hill castle overlooking the countryside, acre or so lots, that sort of thing. And right next to it was these houses that were fine. They were fine middle-class homes, but they were all crammed together, you know, all identical. And so right next to this thing. And it, to me, it seemed it was like the classic keeping up with the Joneses thing Mm -hmm. so nobody Mm -hmm. in the big in the in the big house neighborhood was home so we didn't talk to anybody there there was a handful of families that were home in the um the other neighborhood and they were all grumpy they were so grumpy and it was like they had just come home from work the kids were doing the homework you know both the parents worked and we started discussing and sort of like what could possibly make this be and we were talking about the debt you know, the need to have to work, the need to be able to pay off the mortgage, to pay off the car, to pay for the kids' schooling and that sort of thing. Is this kind of, how does that um, observation match with what you see? It matches perfectly um, because there, there's, a, uh, there's a documentary that I would love to commend to your audience called The Overspent American. Uh, it's free on YouTube. And uh, it's based on a work by this uh, Harvard economist named Juliet Shore. And I think, yeah, she does a great job in that documentary of outlining exactly what you're, what you're talking about and and what we've talked about thus far in terms of, you know, 78% of the population lives paycheck to paycheck. Um, It is exceedingly rare to find um, a family, an individual, a couple that knows, you know, that has organized their finances into a budget, is in the process of eliminating debt. Um, 
and and it is one of the arguments that she makes in the film that I think is great and I've used in a lot of my you know and a lot of my content is that we've gone actually it's it's worse now than keeping up with the Joneses that's a you know saying that kind of came out of the 40s and 50s you know the post-war decades now we're keeping up with the Gateses and she makes this argument by you know just how like you were talking about you know these these neighborhoods with these McMansions you know in in uh, the suburbs of Atlanta where my wife and I live you know the the homes are you know three car garages five bedroom homes you know two people live in it maybe a family of four sometimes they have you know a, there's an infinity and a Lexus and you know a, a Hummer sitting in the in the driveway and you just know when you especially once you start to peel away the layers of the onion and you look at, you know, the real statistics of, you know, eight out of 10 people live in paycheck to paycheck. It, everything in our society has become so luxurious. You know, if you look at the TV shows that we watch, if you look at the cultural icons that people try to keep up with, it's no longer, um, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. It's literally keeping up with hyper luxury and no one can do that. There's a, um, there's a blogger that I have followed for a long time named Paula Pant, and she's got a uh, she's got a, a podcast and a, and a blog called uh, Afford Anything. And her motto is that you can afford anything, you just can't afford everything. And I think in our culture, especially, um, you know, we've been marketed to, which plays into our lack of contentment, which plays into you know just our natural proclivity to be irresponsible with money. And so we've gotten ourselves into this mess. And especially when we're in a, a situation like this global pandemic where, you know, the unemployment rate has gone through the roof over the past couple of months, it's really laying bare the, the whole the, the personal finance of a lot of families right now. And so unfortunately, we're seeing that cycle play out. I think it's going to be much more dire even than the 2008 global financial crisis, just because of the depth and the breadth of this being so much more far reaching. So going to uh, people's personal financial sort of education being crack open, we're seeing a lot of cracks during our, so, so just to, to clarify, um, we're filming this at the time in, in actually June of 2020. So right in the middle of, or tail end, or who knows where, global pandemic, right? right? <laughs> we're still shut down. We're still not fully opened. And there's just a lot of uncertainty. And so when it comes to paycheck to paycheck, now we are three months in where people haven't necessarily been receiving continued paychecks. Different states and whatnot have rolled out various unemployment depending on what's going on. But I think, what was the last number I heard for our unemployment? Where it was like 18 to 24% unemployed right now. Uh, it's, yeah, there's, there, there are the official numbers and then there are, you know, because of the way that the, you know, the government accounting office, you know, accounts for the numbers, it's, it's probably closer to 40% I've heard. Uh, just because, you know, there are just a lot of parts of the population that they don't take into account of probably, right. but suffice it to say it's a disaster. Right. I mean, it's right. a complete disaster for so many people. Right. So eight out of 10 people live paycheck to paycheck. And now we've got, um, say, three to four out of 10 people who don't have a paycheck. So, okay, social responsibility and all that aside, how can, like, when I realized I needed to be on a budget, I realized that I didn't get that education growing up. And I've had conversations with my mom and she was very, you know, uh, 
yes, I didn't do this. And so one of the reasons that I'm so glad that you're here is like, how can we change this? How can Mm -hmm. we start talking about money so that it becomes accepted and so that we can train ourselves and future generations to do better? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and certainly, you know, I've, I've sliced and diced that question, you know, a thousand different ways, um, you know, as a financial coach, you know, over the past decade. And the thing that I find over and over and over is that it, and, you know, it really starts in the home. It really starts with, you know, the parents who typically are part of that, that, that statistic that, you know, live in paycheck to paycheck. And so it really starts with, uh, you know, someone having a why, a strong enough why. And usually that comes out of a, a, a place of pain. You know, like in my, my circumstance, like you read at the beginning, I had $43,000 worth of consumer debt. And I, I, was in a, I was in a career transition that wasn't going very well. And so I got myself into a lot of pain. And the pain and the depression and the anxiety and all the stuff that came out of that was really the the catalyst that caused me to have sort of my first, you know, financial awakening. And so that was when I discovered Dave Ramsey's material and it just made sense. It was like, this isn't going to be easy, but I have a way out of this that I have control over. And I think that, you know, there are usually two ways that you can acquire a skill set. It's through, you know, some sort of vehicle of pain or some sort of vehicle of aspiration. And unfortunately, what I have seen, you know, with my own two eyes over these years is that anything that comes with personal finance has to come out of the pain uh, because people uh, it's, people are just so irresponsible with money uh, in our culture. Um, now, the good news is, is that there are, because of, you know, the proliferation of blogs and all these different social media platforms, there are a lot of really great financial coaches that uh, in, in different Facebook communities and, you know, online communities that offer, you know, help to people that want to learn how to budget. If you go on Pinterest or you go on, you know, any of these social uh, media networks, um, YouTube is an, is another one. You can learn how to do this stuff. the The only problem with that is, is that there's going to come a point where you are going to get stuck or hung up, and that's when you're going to need at least a community, and if not, you know, a, a coach of some sort. But I think that you know the overarching sentiment that you're, you know, kind of. Um, you know, talking about earlier is that, yeah, it's, it would be great. And, and certainly there are talks about, you know, sort of reforming the education system and maybe plugging some of that into the education system. But unfortunately, a lot of that reform and a lot of the stuff that's being pushed are by the financial institutions that really have a vested interest in keeping people ignorant. You know, they want to keep people ignorant because it's much more profitable for them. Mm. It's much more profitable for them to keep people in debt because they, you know, they make tons of money off credit card, you know, interest rates and getting people into student loans that they shouldn't be getting into. And so I, you know, I think that it's systemic. So my, you know, my take and sort of the way that I coach, you know, my student population is, it's really all about personal responsibility. You have to educate yourself first. I really do see, you know, personal finance, um, you know, both from my own perspective and how much I had to scratch and claw out of my situation, as well as this, you know, how we coach our students, you know, personal finance in our culture is kind of like warfare. You know, you have a marketing industrial complex that's constantly trying to get into your pockets. You've got, you know, the financial uh, industrial complex, which would be like insurance agents trying to sell you stuff that you don't need. 
you know, financial advisors that, you know, are trying to sell you stuff that you don't understand where, you know, you should never put your money where you don't understand. Um, you know, so you've, you have to, there has to be this sort of this, this genuine awakening within someone that, that says, I am the person, I am the only one that has my own best interest in mind. And then you can start, you know, through that filter, you can start to surround yourself with people that are going to buttress that and are, that are really going to try, they're going to teach you how to think about these things rather than what to think. Everybody's got an opinion on you need to do this and you need to buy this and, you know, this type of investment and this type of insurance policy or, or whatever, but you are really the only person that has the, you know, has your own best interest in mind. And so education, financial education and literacy is really what our passion is. That is a great place to take a break. And when we come back, let's dig into some how-tos. Fantastic. Almost two-thirds of all adults in work are disengaged with their work. Adults, on average, have 12 career changes in their lifetime. Our global pandemic has erased 10 million jobs from the U.S. economy. And women and women of color are disproportionately affected. I believe these are symptoms of the problem that we are not answering the question we were born to answer. That is, we are not working in alignment, in purpose, and in flow. And that's why I decided to become a coach. I am a coach so I can help you work on your alignment, your purpose, and so you can create your flow. I am accepting a limited amount of six-month coaching packages right now. We will meet weekly, 60 minutes each week, after a 90-minute session where we will dig into your purpose, what it is, and how you can align your days so you are working on your purpose, which will ultimately bring you flow. Then you can be one of the 33% of working adults who are engaged with their work. You can be engaged with your work and your contribution to our world. Want to learn more? Visit www.michellelasley.com slash work with me. Limited spaces are available, so set up a meeting with me today. Welcome back. Okay, so we've painted a picture and we've left with getting personal responsibility and personal interest into having a healthy financial outcome. So first, I wanted, you shared with me your mission and you have four parts to your mission. Teach the world to organize their finances, get on a written budget, get out of debt and move toward financial independence. So you started with having a why. So after you have your why, can you just kind of break down like, well, one, why is that your mission? Why do you want to see this happen? That's a great question. And and it really goes back to the only way that we're going to make a difference in personal finance in our culture is really one person, one family at a time, uh, because it is so personal. And I've seen this play out over and over and over. And the elements of that are, you know, someone having a strong enough reason or why to want to sit down and take the time to organize their finances. One of the the very first things that we do besides, you know, examining their why 
and also talking about some of their beliefs around money, which will be pressed against as they work through the more technical parts of the journey. Uh, one of the very first things that we'll do is have an exercise of sit down and look at everything I owe. So we'll the very first sort of technical exercises will have them sit down, log into all of their accounts, their bank accounts, their utility accounts, all that stuff, and get all of their bills, expenses, and debts down on one piece of paper, one centralized form. Doesn't matter if it's an Excel spreadsheet, whatever. I prefer that it be on paper. And I'll go into some of the reasons for that a little bit later on. Um, but that is going to help reduce the overwhelm. Overwhelm is really the biggest reason that most people walk away from trying to get their their finances organized and into a budget because it is really, really overwhelming, especially if you've never done it before. And so we try to break that down into very small bite-sized pieces. And even when they're organizing their finances, we'll do what's called the 25-minute time block strategy where we'll say, hey, look, you do 25 minutes, take a five or 10-minute break, take a breather so you're not getting overwhelmed, walk away come back to it and then just try, you know, try to get that done, that piece of it done. Then once we have a centralized document where they've got all of their bills, expenses, and debts, then it's much easier to plug that into a budget. Okay. Do you also have your students do um, like a 30 day diary where they're writing down all the times that they go out and spend money? Like every time they go out to lunch or every yes. time they buy coffee and all that. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. That is, that's absolutely the next step after we successfully complete their first budget. We just really try to set the expectation uh, in any coaching cadence that we have that you have to track every penny. Every single penny that goes out of your budget, it's a little tedious at first. And until you develop that as a habit, it's going to be uncomfortable. And there's going to be stuff that you forget, you know, but the the budgeting process, the expense tracking process, we set the expectation with new students that it's going to take 90 days. The first month, you're going to feel like a failure. You're going to feel like it's a train wreck. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be stuff that you forget. It's okay. You know, we're looking for progress, not perfection. And so we just sort of coach through that. And so after the first month, we've gotten that one down. It's not perfect. It's not pretty. And then the next month is a little bit better, still not perfect. And then by month three, it's kind of, we've started to get a little bit of a rhythm. We've built some momentum. We've built some wins and we're celebrating those, you know, as, as often as possible. And uh, they're starting to develop that muscle while simultaneously they're tracking those expenses so that they can reconcile those, you know, weekly, at least monthly, but preferably weekly inside of the budget and, you know, really starting to make their money behave. So let's talk about a budget because this was one thing, if, if my mom could have taught me anything, it would have been. Mm figuring out what a budget is, but she didn't, she didn't even know. Right. And so it was actually for me, um, my, my aunt-in-law, I guess, uh, got my husband and me, uh, but one, a couple books on finances for our wedding gift. And we still have a lot of work to do. Like we are, Don't we all? yeah. So, but <laughs> the, what well, the book that we got was Larry Burkett, uh, yeah. finances for couples. And right. We've got a graph here on debt.com and I don't see a date on this, but um, well, they, they said this recent report covers habits for 2016. So four years old mm -hmm. as far as spending patterns. And this actually mocks a lot of like what um, Larry had, had said when he was helping people. So a percent of your budget, about 30% should go to housing. And Larry was really clear, like you need to include in your housing budget 
your, say your rent or mortgage plus the respective insurance and all of your utilities. If you have cable and, it, and you use that as part of your house, the cable bill has to be a part of the housing budget, your phone mm-hmm. bill. And so now I would argue probably your cell phones and mobile bills, right? Your internet and all that would go into that, that 32% housing budget. So it's not just the rent or mortgage that's going to take up that 30%. It's all of those things together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, you know, we have a, you know, I have some uh, a budgeting form that I work with on my students and it's really the percentages we usually wind up making a little bit that a little bit more of a focus after the first 90 days, the first 90 days, we're just trying to get them, you know, get the training wheels, um, you know, get them used to the process and feeling good about it, feeling like, okay, cool. I'm not a total idiot about this stuff. Uh, you know, um, we all go through that, you know, sort of gangly phase as, as a budgeter. And, um, and then once we get past, you know, some of the rudimentary, pieces of, you know, just budgeting itself, then we can start talking about percentages. And, um, and that's, a, but usually a little bit later on in the, uh, in the process. And those can be, those can be somewhat flexible. We, we work with what's called a zero based budget, which you're probably familiar with, but in case your audience isn't, it's basically where we make sure whatever your income is, that every single penny of that income has a job inside the budget. So at the bottom of the budget, the number is zero. doesn't mean that you don't have any money. It just means that every single dollar that is income gets purposed inside of a category uh, inside the budget. <clears throat> and the great thing is, is that once you get better at this, you'll start getting a month, you know, one of our next goals is to get a month ahead. Oh, nice. And so you've got some, yeah. So you've got some pad in, in each one of those categories. And um, yeah, and then the percentages really start to to kind of fall in line. The the one category that I see that is always out of control, probably ninety nine percent of the time, is the food category. Nobody knows what they spend, and this is almost bar none. They don't know what they're spending on groceries, and they don't know what they're spending at, at out at restaurants until like after that first month when right. we've sort of forced them to keep receipts and write down their write down their stuff. But it's that's always off the charts. Okay. So if that's a thing for you guys, then you're normal. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, I have a lot of friends and uh, people who who like to go out to eat, so I'm sure that is a part of it for for the people that I know. Okay, I um found taking a look at what a budget could look like helpful because I had no idea what a measure was of where I should have been spending my money. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I say should kind of lightly, but like, um, it goes back to, I think the couple, right. They had their 10 grand a month, 10 plus grand a month, and they were spending it all. But like, what percent were they saving? And so you had shared that you've flopped and you're like at 70%. But if you're not, if you're not saving anything and you're spending, spending it all like you know then you know where is it going you know they break it down housing transportation food etc food uh is at like 12.5 percent and that's been consistent for like the last since the 90s since because when larry's book was first written uh Mm -hmm. which is fascinating in and of itself so not to linger too much on the percentages um this idea of where we should or could be spending our money to work towards financial health so 
my husband and I have been able to switch things around a little bit because, for example, we own and maintain our vehicles. So we don't have to have a lease and maybe our insurance Uh, is a little bit different. Right. And so like, so we can take maybe what was in that budget and put it towards vacation or food or whatever. Mm, Um, So the reason I wanted to talk about what we should be spending though, is because sometimes when it comes to some of these necessity sort of things, and when we're, we're looking at our $10,000, if you have a $10,000 a month, you know, income, and you do have all of those cars, the infinity and the this and the that and the other thing, and you're looking at, I just really want people to be able to make smarter choices about like, you know, is this house something that I really truly can afford? Should we be getting these things on the, the whatever? So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? So I stop rambling. No, no, that's okay. No, I mean, and that you said something that's very key. That is a phrase that's missing in our culture and is, is a, it's a question, can I afford it? You know, nobody really asks that. I, I, maybe when you were growing up, I, I know when I, when I was growing, my, growing up, I used to hear it all the time. Yeah, we can't afford it. it. We can't afford it. Yeah, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. Or we want to go on vacation. We want to go to, no, we can't afford that. You know, it seems like that's missing from our vernacular because credit is so easy. Now, when people, they know they can't afford it on some level, but they can just throw it on a card and sort of wish and hope that they'll have the money to pay that off at some point. And so, yeah, that's just a, a kind of a general direction that our, our culture has gone in. And so in terms of, you know, getting people to a place, you know, the budget really has to become your external brain for money or an external source of accountability. So you want to have integrity with that. You want to be really fastidious about tracking every single dollar, every single penny. And then, you know, it starts to become second nature in terms of what you know you can afford and what you know you can't afford. It's a bit of a process to get there. And that's, again, why I keep going back to the whole 90-day thing is that, you know, after about 90 days, you start to have a feel for it. And if, if you can press into that, that's when you're going to start, you know, looking at, oh, man, I didn't realize I was spending this much money on food. I didn't realize I was spending this much money on my infinity. I didn't realize, you know, and so you start to have this consciousness and this awareness of what the actual numbers are. And as a result of that, and this is, this is astounding to me that the first time we know, when we sit down to do a budget with a new student, probably 90 to 95% of the time, they're over budget at least a thousand dollars a month. So that means that they're spending a thousand dollars more than they're bringing in typically. Now, sometimes it's much more than that. Once in a while, it's less than that. And so as you can imagine, you know, once you can get to a place where you're spend at least spending exactly what you're bringing in, you've made progress already. We're going to celebrate that. And then what we're looking at doing once we start, especially once we start addressing debt, is we're going to look at, you know, selling some stuff, getting some extra work, you know, cutting things out of the budget or reducing things in the budget or substituting things in the budget. And what I mean by substituting is like if you have a mainline cell phone carrier, it might be good to look at something like Freedom Pop or Mint or something like that. You know, my, that's something my wife and I have done and we've saved, you know, we've saved hundreds of dollars a year just by doing stuff like that. So it really starts to the the looking at a budget is sort of like your external brain because we all think like, oh yeah, I know how much money I have and I know 
And yeah, okay, I'm kind of, you're always doing that sort of funny math in your mind when you're at the grocery store or whatever. So oh, I think I've, I think we're good. I think we're good. Well, what would it feel like if you knew, you know, you knew you were good or you knew you weren't good? Or if you knew that you were going to overspend in the grocery category, that you could pull something into your grocery category from another category that you've underspent on. You know, and it's just this, it's almost like a gamification. The people that our students that really grab a hold of it and really start to get traction and success with it are the ones that, you know, kind of gamify the situation and really get into it and start to have fun with it. This is, that's the thing that, you know, it's, it's easy to lose track of that. Once you start to get momentum and traction and have some success, it's really fun and it can be kind of addictive in all the right ways. I, um, we have a kitchen savings account now, right? So now we have a household account and we always plug in a certain percentage every month of the paycheck into those things. And I got to tell you, when the stove quit working, that was Uh, the best thing ever to be able to just go and know that that money was there. And it took a lot of years of saving and putting that away before we were able to get to that point. Um, And there's, again, still lots of work we have in other areas, but we were able to get that piece sort of nailed. Okay, we are like, virtually out of time. (laughs) So can you paint like a 30 second picture of what it would look like if 78% of those Americans of of the people that were living paycheck to paycheck, if all of a sudden they were able to realize financial independence, what would our world look like? Could it look like? Oh, it would be, um, you know, it'd be a lot more happy people, uh, a lot more contentment. Um, And, but the funny thing is, is that a lot of this is reverse engineered, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and so you have to, uh, it's almost like, uh, someone who is getting ready to have a huge inheritance, but is, was terrible with money, right. you know, a lesson until they know how to control their money, they're never going to be able to enjoy that. So the, the, the issue with most people, most of the students that we come into contact is not a lack of money. It's a lack of control over the money. And so it's, just you're going to have financial peace. You're going to have a lot more fun in life. And especially once you can get on the other side of debt, being debt free for, you know, over a decade now, I can tell you, like, I would never go back. It's just amazing. So we'd have a lot of happy, we'd have a lot happier people. We'd have a lot more people that would be able to give more, uh, not just in terms of finances, but in time and, you know, maybe teaching some of these principles as well. So Mm, I want that world. Let's get, let's make that world happen. I'm with you. Where can people find you? So my website is uh, zero debt coach, uh, zero debt coach.com. And, uh, and then my YouTube channel, we have a lot of free resources, uh, you know, different budgeting courses. Um, I've got a 30 day debt elimination quick start challenge, which is a YouTube playlist, which is basically like a free uh, video course. So those are the two main things. And we also have a private Facebook group. If that's something that you're, you know, looking for help with budgeting or just getting your finances in order, that's a great, uh, that's a great resource, free awesome. resource for you as well. We'll have all those links in the show notes. I am so grateful that you're here today. And for those of you listening, check out the Facebook Live we did at the time of the showing many months before. <laughs> that's right. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate it. Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Lassley. The instrumental music, Grass, by Silent Partner, is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. 
email hello at michellelasley.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Lasley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.